Chapter Twelve of A Soldier's Letters to Charming Nellie. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Denise Nordell. A Soldier's Letters to Charming Nellie by J. B. Polly. Chapter Twelve. Hood's Texans in Pennsylvania. Near Fredericksburg, July thirtieth, eighteen sixty-three. Grim-visaged war hath smoothed her wrinkled front temporarily and i am sitting in a chair and writing on a table to-day charming nelly under the grateful shade of a wide-spreading maple and amid surroundings so pleasantly peaceful that the scenes recently witnessed the adventures experienced and the hardships privations and dangers undergone seem like dreams which beneath the hovering shades of night sport with the ever restless minds of men but alas the present can only be an interlude between the acts of this terribly real and bloody tragedy of war another day may never come to me and to make the most of this i devote a part of it to your entertainment don't imagine that because i am so happily situated i am not on duty for i am ostensibly i am protecting the premises of an f f v a gentleman of the old school the paternal ancestor of a pretty and vivacious daughter and the host of a prettier and more vivacious friend of the daughter under the humanizing influence of the fragrant roses that bloom in the yard and those animate flowers who flitting from room to room and from piazza to porch of the house come within range of my greedy eyes whenever i raise them from the table my warlike spirit has been tamed into the peacefulness and timidity of mary's little lamb and were it not for the conflict between obligations that distresses my tender conscience would be as sportive the trouble is this in exchange for three substantial daily meals and the blessed privilege of flirting ad libitum with the young ladies and sleeping at night in the front yard i am expected to protect my host's roasting ears watermelons pumpkins apples and the like from the depredations of my comrades encamped three miles away in the direction of fredericksburg at the same time my duty to these comrades is to afford them every possible opportunity to follow the advice of jim sanders of the fifth catching sight of a terrapin one day he captured it saying a man order variegate his eatin every chance he gets considering that jim has been a man of mark ever since he awarded to the enfield rifle the palm of superiority over the mississippi jaeger on the sensible ground that the chronic ball carried by the former was much more destructive than the round ball of the latter the texans are not to be censured for following his wise counsels this granted i do not feel called upon to be an obstacle to variegation as long as i can keep myself out of the sight and hearing of the boys crossing the potomac on a pontoon bridge at noon we halted in the outskirts of the town of williamsport maryland and mirabel dictu drew rations of whiskey there was only about a gill to the man but as the temperance fellows gave their shares to friends the quantity available was amply sufficient to put fully half the brigade not only in a boisterously good humor but in such physical condition that the breadth of the road over which they marched that evening was more of an obstacle to rapid progress than its length at an early hour john brantley of my company became so exhausted by his latitudinarian tendencies as to prefer riding to walking and perceiving that colonel key was in an excellently good-natured condition took advantage of a momentary halt to approach that gallant officer and slapping him familiarly on the leg remark say colonel i'm just plumb broke down can't you walk some and let me ride a while bending forward over his horse's neck and grasping the pommel of his saddle with both hands to steady himself the old colonel looked pityingly down at brantley and between hiccups replied i'd do it in a minute old feller damned if i wouldn't but i'm tired as hell myself sittin up here and holdin on just after crossing the boundary line into pennsylvania i went to a farmhouse in sight of the road and inquired if the owner had any bacon for sale 
Answered in the affirmative, I asked the price and was told fifteen cents a pound. Reflecting that in Virginia the price was two dollars a pound and bacon almost impossible to buy at that, I determined to lay in a good supply. So, selecting from his well-filled smokehouse two sides which weighed exactly eighty pounds and were streaked with lean and fat in exactly the right proportion to be exceedingly toothsome, I tied them together with a piece of old rope and, throwing them across the loins of my horse, handed the farmer a twenty-dollar Confederate bill oh said he as he took it gingerly between thumb and forefinger and eyed it as if suspicious it were unclean i can't pass this kind of money here in pennsylvania yes indeed you can my dear sir said i speaking with the fervor of absolute conviction can't you see from the army passing by that we intend to take possession of this little neck of the woods you will need our money to pay taxes and for many other purposes and you had better begin to get hold of it but i can't change this bill for i haven't got any of the same kind he whined oh that's a small matter said i just give me greenbacks i ain't afraid of them i'll see what i can do he answered after a moment's hesitation and walked into the house in less than a minute i heard the shrill voice of an angry woman scolding vigorously and guessing that the farmer was encountering opposition that might interfere with the trade deemed it prudent to mount my steed and be prepared for emergencies i had scarcely settled myself in the saddle when the farmer appeared and extending the bill towards me said here mister give back that ar bacon and take your money i can't make the change for i ain't got eight dollars in the house fully equal to the imperative demands of the occasion and assuming the most lordly southern air of which i was capable i said then just keep the change sir touched my weather-beaten hat with the politeness of a chesterfield and giving free rein to my horse soon overtook a wagon and unloaded my prize into it there are men in the fourth texas endowed with as keen a scent for food as any animal and dick skinner of company f is one of them excepting the driver whom i swore to absolute secrecy not a soul saw me put that bacon into the wagon and yet within twenty minutes after we went into camp near greencastle dick approached me with as bland a smile as he wears when asking a comrade to hold his gun while he takes a drink of water and said see here joe i hain't had a bite to eat for three days and i'm getting too weak to serve my country can't you lend me about ten pounds of that bacon you got this evening Evening. i'll make it even with you within the week devoting one minute to wondering how in the world dick had learned of my purchase i gave another to rapid reflection while the fellow lied like a trooper about his starving condition he was obviously too hungry to be a good christian and obey all of god's ten commandments and especially those against covetousness and stealing therefore solely out of regard for his moral welfare i placed temptation out of his reach by lending him the bacon but although i adjured him with tears in my eyes not to think of making things even until he could buy as i had i am satisfied that when two or three days later he settled the account by sending me a couple of fat chickens somebody's hen-roost had been robbed horses were needed to move the artillery and to obtain them the non-combatants of the q m department were ordered to scout through the country and pick up as many as possible always ready to serve our country in its time of need we set out as blithely as schoolboys on a frolic our cheerfulness wonderfully increased by timely information that we would not be expected to penetrate the mountain fastnesses where guerrillas were supposed to be lying in wait for the unwary but on the contrary were to confine our researches to the open country between longstreet's corps and swells then far up the susquehanna toward harrisburg shortly after noon of the first day's scout we caught sight of two colts feeding on a hill a mile to the right of the road knowing their dams must be near them we cut across the country and tied to a hedge found two splendid young mares i took the bay while captain cussens or cousins of general law's staff who had joined our party took the sorrel the poor animals kept up such constant increasing racket over the separation from their offspring that when night came and we encamped in a grove some distance away from any road an expert at milking was in demand 
far away from the protection of friendly infantry in an enemy's country and armed only with pistols we felt unpleasantly lonesome insecure and forlorn it was recklessly imprudent therefore to run the risk of having our presence betrayed to passing foes as it might be unless the uneasiness of our captives was speedily allayed having graduated in the art of milking when a boy i lost no time in practising it on the animal chosen by me captain cousins however had more difficulty it was his first essay as a milkmaid and although under my laughing tuition he finally succeeded it was at the cost of infinite travail and labour and he carried away in his eyes and mouth and on his face long flowing beard and new uniform far more milk than fell upon the ground an old dunkard gave us such an early breakfast next morning that when at noon we halted before a large and elegant mansion surrounded by beautiful grounds we were as hungry as bears it fell to my lot to ask for entertainment and dismounting i rapped gently at the front door waiting a reasonable time and hearing no sound from within i rapped again a little more vigorously than before and after another interval of absolute quiet a third time then a well-preserved lady of fifty opened the door and her face as white as a sheet looked silently at me raising my hat in acknowledgment of her presence i stated my errand not a word fell from her lips until she had looked at me from head to foot and glanced in the direction of my companions then she said in a tremulous voice you are rebels are you not that is what you call us madam i suppose but we call ourselves confederates i explained orders have been published said she prohibiting citizens from giving any aid or comfort to the confederates i shall regret very much madam i rejoined to have the orders obeyed in our particular case for in that event we will have to ask elsewhere for food and we are quite hungry i assure you that alters the case she replied quickly smiling for the first time the bible commands us to feed the hungry and it is of higher authority than the orders of man ask your friends in i will give you dinner the smile and the spirit of genuine christian hospitality which spoke in the lady's sweet voice and shone in her still bright eyes captivated me and i suggested carrying my party around the house to the back door rather than have them tramp through her spotlessly clean hall she smiled again gratefully this time saying thank you sir you have been trained by a careful mother i see it will please me very much to have your friends conducted directly to the back porch they will find water towels and a comb and brush there should they need them to make a long story short within half an hour eight confederates sat around a long table in a spacious dining-room eating huge slices of light bread cold ham corned beef and roast mutton interspersed liberally with sweet pickles jam jelly and apple butter drinking genuine coffee and the richest of milk and between sups and bites chatting as merrily with our hostess her three handsome daughters and an old gentleman whom the girls called uncle john as if they were acquaintances of long and intimate standing stray whithersoever he might in the delightful fields of literature prose poetry the arts and the drama the disputatious critical and sarcastic captain joe wade of the fourth texas found his match in the well-informed bright-minded elder sister for every one of our many crude essays at wit or humor captain walter norwood of the fifth and your humble servant the writer received an ample quid pro quo from the next in age of the girls and captain mills of the first a chevalier bayard sans pure et sans reproche although quite an old bachelor and the others of the visitors found ample entertainment in lively laughing converse with our hostess her youngest daughter and uncle john we sat there fully three hours then captain mills suggested departure and calling me to one side quietly dropped a treasured five-dollar gold piece into my hand saying in a low voice here joe pay for our dinner with this they have been too kind to us to be offered confederate money turning to the hostess i offered the coin and asked if it would satisfy her for her trouble 
yes sir it would were i willing to accept pay said she drawing back rather indignantly but i am not we have heard horrible stories of the treatment we might expect from confederates but if all are gentlemen like yourselves i will make them as welcome to my house and table as you have been won't you stay longer it is early yet the invitation declined each of us expressed our thanks for her hospitality and took leave it was my youthful appearance i reckon that gained me the compliment but when i said good-bye she clasped my hand warmly and looking at me with eyes that reminded me of my own good mother in faraway texas said good-bye my dear boy and remember if you get sick or are wounded and will only let us know where you are you shall be brought here and nursed till you are well again rejoining the brigade late that night at its camp near chambersburg and being very tired i laid down near the wagons and went to sleep awakened next morning by collins's bugle and walking over to the camp i witnessed not only an unexpected but a wonderful and marvellous sight every square foot of half an acre of ground not occupied by a sleeping or standing soldier was covered with choice food for the hungry chickens turkeys ducks and geese squawked gobbled quacked cackled and hissed in inharmonious unison as deft and energetic hands seized them for slaughter and scarcely waiting for them to die sent their feathers flying in all directions and scattered around in bewildering confusion and gratifying profusion appeared immense loaves of bread and chunks of corned beef hams and sides of bacon cheeses crocks of apple butter jelly jam pickles and preserves bowls of yellow butter demijohns of buttermilk and other eatables too numerous to mention the sleepers were the foragers of the night resting from their arduous labors the standing men their messmates who remained as camp guards and were now up to their eyes in noise feathers and grub jack sutherland's head pillowed itself on a loaf of bread and one arm was wound carelessly half round a juicy-looking ham bob murray fearful that his captives would take to their wings or be purloined had wound the string which bound half a dozen frying chickens around his right big toe one of brayan's widespread legs was embraced by two overlapping crocks of apple butter and jam while a tough old gander gray with age squawked complainingly at his head without in the least disturbing his slumber dick skinner lay flat on his back with his right hand holding to the legs of three fat chickens and a duck and his left to those of a large turkey fast asleep and snoring in a rasping bass voice that chimed in well with the music of the fowls the scene is utterly indescribable and i shall make no further attempt to picture it the hours were devoted exclusively to gormandizing until at three p m marching orders came and leaving more provisions than they carried the texans moved lazily and plethorically into line their destination Gettysburg. End of chapter 12. Recording by Denise Nordell, Modesto, California.